Good morning, friends. How are you today? I feel like there is a special energy in this room today. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. I saw Pastor Benjamin put a row, extra row of chairs back there because we needed them. We needed them. I saw Jameson up on stage singing this morning. I got to hug a young person that I have not seen in 14 months. And yeah, and let me tell you, on the list of hugs, this was all-time top 10, this hug. It was a great hug, and we're excited to see you guys back today. It sort of feels to me like we're experiencing Easter part two today, sort of a revival of energy and excitement, and that is wonderful, and it makes me so happy. Now, you might be wondering, uh, I'm a little bit more dressed up that I usually would be on a Sunday morning, and you might be wondering, well, why are you a little more dressed up? And the answer is simple. I I got some new clothes, and I have nowhere to wear them yet. (laughs) And so I said, I'm going to wear them here. So at this point, it's too late. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm here and on stage, and that's it. So that's it. Uh, I am super passionate about the message that's on my heart to bring to you today. But before I Dive into that, I, I want to share a personal aside with you, if that's okay. Uh, when Trisha and I were younger, when we were in college, we started working with young people. And in fact, I taught the middle school class at our church for like five years because nobody else wanted to do it. But I loved it, and I loved those young people and those kids, and in fact, the time that I spent with them inspired us to start the first youth group that our church ever had. And we would meet together on Sunday afternoons. I started calling it Super Sunday was our meeting, until somebody at the church decided they didn't like the name Super Sunday. I think the official reason was that it sounded too Baptist. And so we had to change it. They told us we had to change it. So I changed it to the teen thing. And the reason I changed it to the teen thing, because then the leaders in that church every Sunday would be now required to stand up on stage and say, this Sunday we're having the teen thing. And I, that was a little retribution from me to them to have to write it in all the bulletins that way over and over again. Now, for me, I referred it with all the young people as the event formerly known as Super Sunday. And that's what we called it forever. And we built some wonderful relationships with those young people and loved it. And I discovered in that time my heart for young people and how much I loved young people. And to be with them and to connect with them, it was such a joy to me. If you know our family's story, a few years ago, several years ago, we decided to leave the church community that Trish and I had both grown up in. There were a lot of reasons that we decided to do that, and we knew that when we did that, there would be negative repercussions for us, and that was the reality. Uh, We knew that there were many people, though very good-hearted and wonderful people, that would not be able or willing to accept or respect the decision that we had made, and we lost a lot of relationships and a lot of friendships and really all of our influence in that community. And it was very difficult after 35 years to do that. I was ready for that loss 
I had kind of prepared myself because I'd seen other people go through it. But what snuck up on me, what I was not ready for, was the loss of my connection with all those young people. All those kids that I had spent so much time and energy pouring into, and then leaving and not knowing what was being said to those young people about who I was and why I had left. I've been thinking about this all week, and I've been crying a lot, and I'm still crying. Give me a second. That weighed on me for a long, long time. Uh, because I knew instinctively as a person who had been in leadership, in spiritual community, that no matter where you go in spiritual community, influence and connection with young people is the final frontier of influence. And that's the healthy and good way it should be. You can talk to the minds of the adults, pretty quickly and make an impact with them in their lives. But the young people, we guard their hearts for good reason. That's the way it should be. And so I knew that this thing that I had treasured and valued so much that was so important to me, it was going to take a while for me to ever experience that again. And that was a loss for me that I mourned for a long time. Would you put that picture up, Shannon? This is all last Sunday. My mind has clear words that I want to say to you about what this, these images mean to me. My heart won't get through all of it. So let me just say this. To all of you, every single one of you. I am so grateful for your invitation to allow me to be me again. Thank you. And, and I want to say something very specific to our young people. You've heard our pastors and our group talk about this phrase that we use sometimes, the one true narrative of redemption. And you may be like, I don't even know what that means. What are you guys talking about? That's certainly not for me. I'm not part of the one true narrative of redemption in the world. But that word redemption, which is a fancy word, all it means is taking things that were broken and healing them putting them back together the way they were, the way they were meant to be. And I just want to say to you that you have been part of that redemption journey in my life. You have taken something in my life that was broken, and you have helped me put it back together. And sometimes in the world, it's as simple as a smile, a hug, a friendship, a kind word that means redemption in someone else's story. So if you were worried whether you were concerned or confused about whether you had a role to play in the incredible work that Jesus and the Spirit of God is doing in this wor world, worry and wonder no more. 
You are, and I thank you for that. Whew. That was hard. Let's read this verse. It's in the book of Exodus. Let me set it up first. The end of the book of Genesis is about a guy named Joseph. You've heard of this Joseph guy before, right? He wore a coat of many colors and his brothers hated him for it and they sold him into slavery, but God used it for good and he actually sent Joseph to Egypt as a slave, as a servant, but he was so successful in his work and in his interpretation of dreams that he became the second in command to Pharaoh, who was the king of the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And through that power and that authority, Joseph not only saved his family, but an entire group of people that God had promised that they would flourish. And in Egypt, the Jewish people grew and grew and become more prosperous until one day Joseph died. And the Pharaoh who loved Joseph, he died too. And there was a new king in town. And he did not know Joseph, and he did not like these people and all their success. So he decided that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, would be slaves. And he made them slaves. And they suffered tremendously. That leads to this verse. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. I want to talk about that verse today, and we're going to come back to it. But first, let's talk about a word, and that word is fragile. I think we all know that word, fragile. We're familiar with it. What is, this is the participation part, what is what does the word fragile mean? What is the definition? What's a simple definition of fragile? Do you know? It's okay if you don't. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, Kayla. You had your hand up. Kayla. Easily broken. Is that what you were going to say, Lucy? Is that pretty much what everyone was going to say? Do you have a different answer? Delicate. Very good. Delicate, easily broken. This is the word, these are the phrases we use for this term fragile. Now, somebody give me an example of something that is easily broken, delicate, fragile. Brenna. Glass, easily fragile. Somebody else. Yes, Weston. Fancy cups. Yes, sir, Wyatt. A vase. Something else. A pot, yes, 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 sir. You have one, James? What? Plastic toys. Some plastic toys are fragile. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, that's enough. We get the idea, right? We get the idea. Now, here's what's interesting, though, and weird about this word fragile. And it's the reason why scientists and academic people don't like the word fragile very much. The reason is is because, and they don't use it very much. The reason is because fragile is a very relative term. It's subjective. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, is he a fragile man? 
No, he is not a fragile man. But all it takes is an 80-year-old woman in a Prius driving 40 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, Dwayne is very fragile. That's all it takes. So we think of him not as fragile, but he is fragile. Buildings. Certain buildings look, oh my goodness, so strong. We could never take that building down. But all it takes is a few tectonic plates moving in a certain way, or maybe some winds or gusts, and all of a sudden, that building that looks so sturdy, it's fragile. It's fragile. If you'd asked me two years ago, if it was dependable, you could bank on it, that Taylor Swift would be selling out arenas in 2020, I would have said, that ain't fragile. She's going to do it. But all it took was a little virus, a little virus, and Tay-Tay was done. <laughs> Ticket sales were fragile, were fragile. And so that's why scientists don't like the word fragile and don't use it very often, because it's always relative. It's always relative. But when they do use it, they use a different definition. We talk about fragile being easily broken. Their definition of fragile is not easily broken. Their definition of fragile is this. The more pressure it receives, the weaker it becomes. Anything that becomes weaker, the more force, pressure, or tension that you put on it, that is a fragile thing. And that's absolute. That's absolute. So is Dwayne The Rock Johnson fragile by that definition? Yes. Because physically, the more pressure you put on, the weaker it becomes. And it's the same with a glass or a vase. Anything like that qualifies as fragile. Now, this part's going to take your brain. If we take that definition of fragile, that the weaker, the more pressure it receives, the weaker it becomes, what is the opposite of that? If we were talking about the opposite, we would say the more pressure it receives, the stronger it becomes. Now, what word do we have in our vocabulary for that? Endurance, someone threw out, but that's not quite it. Because endurance just is a measurement of the length you can hold up before the pressure makes you weaker. Resilient is an interesting word because resilience is about your ability to come back from being broken. So the phoenix in myth, ancient myth, is an example of resilience. What does a phoenix do when it dies? It dies and then it is reborn. But it's pretty much the same as it was before. Maybe a little bit different. But is it stronger than it was before? Not necessarily. Depends on which story you read. But in most stories, no. It comes back pretty much the same. Is it resilient? Yes. But does the adversity make it stronger? No. This is a trick question I asked you. 
And the reason it's a trick question is because we have no word in, this, in our vocabulary for this. Not one. I thought for a long time. We don't have one. That means the more pressure it takes, the stronger it gets. If we were to compare it in mythology, we would not talk about the phoenix, which represents resilience. We would talk about the hydra. The hydra. What happens when you cut off the head of a hydra? It doesn't just grow one more, it grows two more. Two more. Cut off a head and two will be re reborn. That's the hydra. We don't have a word for that. Now, a few years ago, an uh, economist named Nasib Talin, cool name, right? He came up with a word for this. He calls it anti-fragile. He wrote a whole book about it. It's a bestseller. Pretty good. Pretty long, but pretty good. I read half of it. That's pretty much what I do. I read half of these books. You get the gist. So he essentially targeted and talked about this in economic systems. But we understand it in other systems. We understand it in other systems. Friends, this is how your muscles work. This is how your muscles work. If you want to get stronger with your muscles, you don't sit on the beach. You don't rest. If you want growth in your muscles, what do you do? What do you do? You exercise. You push. You stretch. Yes, what are you, what are you gonna say? You eat vegetables. That's part of it too. That's tough as well. Now, let me read you, let me read you a verse here. Let's, let's read this passage together. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're gonna read four verses here. Verses 24 through 27. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians at the church in Corinth. Here's what he said. In a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets first prize. So run your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a blue ribbon or a silver cup. But we do it for a heavenly reward that never disappears. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Like an athlete, I punish my body, treating it roughly, listening, listen to this, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to do. Otherwise, I fear that after enlisting others for the race, I myself might be declared unfit and ordered to stand aside. Training it to do what it should, not what it wants to do. If you go to the gym and you work out, there comes a moment in every workout where your body says, we did it. That's enough. That's enough. That was plenty. And actually, I have nothing left for you. You have pushed the muscles as hard as they can be pushed. They are at their limit. We're done. Now, 
If you listen to that voice and you finish that workout, if you finish it then, nothing happens. Nothing. Because you stay exactly where you are if you listen to that voice. Because what it takes to grow and build new muscle is in that moment when every part of your body is saying, that's it, that's enough, we're finished, you say three more. Three more. And your body says, three more? And you say, three more. And somewhere in your body, I don't, I don't know where it is, maybe it's down in the end of your pinky toe, the body responds. And you get three more. And when you do the three more, at the end, you feel like you're going to die. You're going to die. It's over. Just take me and bury me now. I have finished the course. I have finished the race. This is all there is in me. But as you lay there feeling like death, something in your body is happening. Your muscle is growing. It's growing. And after you can get up, after five minutes of breathing and rest, you go and eat a protein shake and an avocado, and you're all right again. You're all right again. You're ready to go again. But that is the nature of growth in our bodies. Our muscles, they're anti-fragile. They're anti-fragile. It is the chaos, the adversity, the pressure, the push that causes the growth. And that is the nature of pretty much everything that grows in the world. That's how organizations, churches grow. They go through periods of unsettledness where things feel chaotic and crazy and broken and uncertain, where things feel hard and there's deep adversity. But in the process, something is growing. And that's the way it is in your life, in your spiritual life, in every point of your journey. Because you reach that moment where your patience is at a point, where your patience screams out to you, that's it! That's it! I got no more patience. My patience is done. I am finished. And somewhere deep inside, you say, three more three more. And deep down, the Spirit of God in you responds. And you get more patience, more generosity, more compassion, more kindness, more love. Here's Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, says, we are pressed on every side by troubles but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do. But we don't give up 
and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. Somebody back in the 90s should have written a party song that said that line over and over again. Too bad they didn't. It would have been a big hit. But here it is in the Bible. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. But here's the good news, friends. The willingness to push through the adversity and grow new muscle, new spiritual muscle, that's your decision. That's your decision. Will you, are you willing to keep pushing? That's your call. But the strength that allows you to push through, that's not yours. You are not responsible for that. That is not your job. Here's verse 14, still in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We know that the same God who brought the Lord Jesus back from the dead will also bring us back to life again with Jesus and present us to him along with you. We know that the same power that took a dead Jesus and brought him back to life is the exact same energy that causes your muscles to grow when you work it out that causes your body to take those healthy foods and vegetables and turn them into strength and energy. That is the power of God. That is God that does that. But in your spiritual life, it's the same thing. It's that same power that you know you saw in Jesus that builds that strength, those fruits of the Spirit of Galatians chapter 5 in you. Not of your own power, but of Christ in you. And then here's the awesome part. The next phrase. These sufferings of ours are for your benefit. This ridiculousness that you've been through over the past 14 months, all the craziness you have been through in your life because of all these shutdowns and lockdowns and everything you have done and all the adversity that you have been through, you may be feeling right now that you are so tired that you are ready to lay on the floor and die. And everything and all the ridiculousness of your life, all it has done is beat you up, deplete you, leave you worthless, helpless, hopeless, and you're just going to have to rest forever because look what this has turned you into. You are a weakling laying on the floor. That's not true. That's not true. You did the three more. You did the three more. And what you don't know and you can't see yet is that muscle, that strength, it's building. It's building. And you're recovering right now from the growth. You're recovering from the growth. And when you recover, that pain that you went through will be for a reason. It'll be for a purpose. 
not just for you, but these sufferings of ours are for the benefit of the world. You will be ready to bless and help and love in ways you never have before because you have more patience now than you did 14 months ago. Maybe right now you're sick of patience. That's okay. That's okay. And it's okay for him to say that out loud. We all are sick of patience. But the truth is, your patience muscle is stronger than it was before. Your generosity muscle, stronger than it was before. You are stronger, this church is stronger. And as the world starts to open up again, we're going to discover over the next month and year strength and endurance that we didn't have before. We thought we were patient and generous. We thought we were compassionate. No. This last 14 months, it opened up dimensions of compassion in you you didn't even know were there. And this morning, as we talk about India and what's going on over there and the work we're going to do, I have no doubt that the partnership we're going to have with these people is going to be stronger, more powerful, that it will get deeper into us, that we will see things that we can do to help and serve and love, and we will see things that they can do to help and bless us that we would not have had the maturity to see before. We have developed new muscle. And then continuing on with these verses. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank Him for His great kindness. The more the Lord is glorified. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, we're all going to die. We're not going to live forever in these bodies. Though our bodies are dying, our inner strength in the Lord is growing every day. Every day. And it is that adversity that is the portal to all of that. So if you're hurting, today. If you're feeling tired, weary (laughs) of all the struggles and all the difficulty, know with certainty that your willingness to go into those battles and to continue to stick with them is not only honored by God, but it is His strength that will continue to not only work you through, but to make you more than you were before. Now, in a moment, we're going to pray. And after we pray, we're, we're going to sing again. The band can go ahead and, and come on up. But I, I want to go back to, to where we started. To this moment in Exodus chapter 1, where these people had felt that they were in bondage, in slavery, in difficulty. But it actually was in that moment that was preparing them, even in the difficulty, to go out into the world on a new adventure. An adventure that would change everything for all of us. I believe that is where we sit today. Together and individually. I want to honor and be thankful, because I am thankful, for your endurance. 
for your resilience, for your willingness to walk with me and with each other through all this difficulty, to share it together. I can see your growth, a growth empowered by God, by his spirit working in you. And I want us to pray now that God will continue to create that growth. It's painful. It's difficult. We don't like it, but it's good. It's good. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we long for your vision to see the beauty and the growth and the development within the hurt, within the suffering, within the difficulty. We believe and know that you are with us, that we survive not on our own strength, but on your power. We see it in our past, we feel it in the present, and we long for it in the future for more of you. Give us faith. Give us hope. Give us passion and endurance to run the race you have set before us and to go forward with great heart, great deliberation and intention to make the world better. Thank you for the work that you have done within us and around us. Bless this church, this community, that we will have more strength to give and to make a positive impact in your name in the days ahead. We love you. In Jesus' name.